Hello, everybody. Woo, thanks. Well, hello, everybody. We're so glad that you are here, whether you're watching online or joining us at Fremont or at Sunnyvale, or you're here in the room with me here in San Jose. We are in week three of our Not Easily Broken series, in which we're talking about the commitments we want to make to one another and community. And today, we get to focus on one of my favorite topics, the lost, the least, and the lonely, and committing to the dignity of all people. I'm also really excited that I get to be here today because 12 years ago, this very day, I became a mother for the very first time. Oh, thank you. Yes, and because I just met some of you, I will not go into the gory details of what that day looked like, Uh, but it was a really cool, beautiful, really long 24-hour labor, and then all of a sudden, I had this beautiful, sweet baby boy that I was fully in love with and so incredibly protective over, so immediately. Like, it, it happened the moment he was born. I did expect that to happen because I'd I'd heard other moms say that, but something I didn't expect to have happen was how protective I became over every single human being. We could even be watching a show, and my husband would say something like, oh, that actor is not acting very well. And something would rise up in me, like this fierce protectiveness, and I would go, everybody has a mother. (laughs) Like, even that actor has a mother. And I kept thinking... That somewhere out there, there was a mother loving and feeling as protective as I felt over this brand new baby and as I feel still over all three of my children. That every person had a mother out there. Or, even worse, that there might be some people who didn't have a mother out there feeling protective of them and loving them unconditionally. And then I felt like maybe it was my responsibility to protect those people. And I felt so fiercely affected. And I couldn't help but sense in my newly formed mother heart that every single human deserved dignity and love and care. It was like a miracle that I knew was happening in my own experience, but I also sensed that it was happening all over the world, in every family, to every human. And the more personal our experiences are, like giving birth and becoming a mom, the more deeply they mark us, right? It also can really mark us when we rub shoulders with experiences of other people or when we're exposed to certain experiences. Like, for me, one of my friends, uh, my dear friends, was sexually abused when we were in high school, and I could not anymore like read books, watch movies, sometimes even hear stories about sexual abuse without feeling a different weight than I had felt before. It wasn't my experience, but I was really close to it. I also became really defensive of immigrants when I lived in a border town for part of my adolescence. I felt so defensive because these people were not a nameless, faceless crowd. They were my neighbors and my friends. I also have had the great privilege, working with Echo Compassion, to have meals with a lot of our homeless neighbors here in San Jose and in the Bay Area. And doing that, sitting across the table and having a meal with somebody who is different in their experience, has really helped me feel protective of their dignity. And actually recently, we had a group start a new effort in San Jose that they're cooking dinner together and then they're taking it out and they're having a meal in a homeless community. And we're doing that because we feel like Having a meal dignifies 
Everybody, right? And this is why, yeah, you can see it's it's really beautiful. And also, uh, somebody asked me just now about more information. Please join them if you're interested. Uh, Okay, so this is why some of the best organizations or philanthropic companies here, even in the Bay, are run by people that experience some sort of pain or trauma or by people who have been exposed to it and they can't look away. This is also why so many, and I would venture to say the majority of our most committed volunteers in Echo Compassion have had abuse, addiction and recovery, or have experienced poverty at a really deep level. It motivates them to do that work in a way that maybe it wouldn't have they not experienced that. This is even why many of our leaders here who lead Alpha, which is a space for those exploring faith with big questions of faith, why those leaders are so passionate is often because they were just those people months ago. They know the power of a healthy community when you're carrying really big questions of faith. And it's easily concluded that our pain can shape our purpose, right? It's very easy to understand that pain points often help us find our purpose. And thankfully, we don't only have to be motivated by pain, right? You don't have to be motivated by all your pain. It's also equally true that our beliefs can shape our behaviors. And I think this is especially true when we think about relationships and community. What we believe shapes how we behave. And today... We're actually standing on a specific belief that is foundational to Christian teaching. And that belief stems from Genesis 1, 27. It says God created human beings in his own image. And so this belief is that all people are created equally in the image of God as image bearers. And if every human is created equally and matters equally to God, then human rights and human dignity, they're a big deal, right? And actually, in our culture today, human rights is is a big deal. Many of you listening right now or sitting in this room might have actively fought for human rights and increased dignity of people who've had it stripped away. And it really, really matters. And it's really, really prevalent. But did you know that even though we all agree that dignity means value or worthiness, A lot of people over many years, over centuries actually, have disagreed about where that dignity and value and worthiness stems from. Some people have said, well, your dignity stems from your actions. So you can be successful and dignified, or if you are unsuccessful, or if you fail, you lose your value and you lose your worth. There have been other schools of thought that have said you can be born into a dignified position, or maybe your societal um, standing or your class can make you more dignified, or you can just, it's the luck of the draw, you can be born into an undignified position. But in our modern thought, the one that stems from this Christian thought of image bearer is actually the most prevalent. So even if you're not a follower of Jesus, most of us agree with this Christian idea that all people not, don't earn their dignity, but somehow they just deserve to be dignified. And for example, we can look to the often quoted U.S. Declaration of Independence to see that this is very prevalent. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed 
by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that among these are life, liberty, and say it with me, the pursuit of happiness. Yes, we all heard this. And most of us in here, most of us listening right now would nod our heads and say, yeah, this matters. We agree. All people deserve some form of dignity. But I want to propose, and I'm going to stand on this today, that if we don't carry this belief at the core of who we are, if we don't let it be a belief that shapes our behaviors, and if we don't live from it, then something essential to our faith and our purpose, and most certainly to our relationships and our communities, will be lost. Because this isn't just a problem between the haves and the have-nots, this problem of dignity. Though it is a problem, okay? In the Bay Area, we have one of the greatest wealth gaps of anywhere in the country. So it is a problem. But it is also a problem that can seep into our relationships at home, at work, at school, in our neighborhoods and communities, especially in neighborhoods and communities as diverse as ours in the Bay. Because it is so normal and human and common to think of ourselves and our life experience as the norm and other people's life experience as the other. It's very normal for us to put up barriers. And in my line of work here at ECHO, I am particularly passionate about making sure that we are all aware, looking for the lost, the least, and the lonely in our circles. But I'm equally as passionate about making sure when we do this, when we serve them and love them and connect with them, that we always do it in a way that adds to and lifts their dignity instead of takes away from it. And this isn't just because it's a good thing to do, though it is. It's not just because we want people to like the church. It's not just because we want to be relevant in a culture that cares about social justice. It's actually because we want to know God better We want to follow the example of Jesus, and we want to mirror the early community of the first believers. Because we can look at the Bible, and even in the Old Testament, before the life of Jesus, we can see God's heart for the poor and the marginalized displayed. In Exodus chapter 22, God says to his people, you must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You see, God always wanted them to have their actions and their hearts aligned. So he's caring about their hearts in this. Remember, you yourselves. And then he says, you must not exploit a widow or an orphan. And if you do exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. So we can see really clearly that God's heart is drawn to protect those who don't have protection to care for immigrants, to care for the outcasts and the unseen in society. And then the life of Jesus certainly exemplifies this heart of God toward people. It certainly is exemplified and embodied in his words and in his actions. In fact, if you read any of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, of the life of Jesus, and I encourage you to just to look for this, if we read any of the accounts, we can easily say, that Jesus consistently dignified those that society deemed undignified. Jesus did lift the value of every single person he talked to, but it was most evident when it went against the societal norms. 
And we often don't really get how radical it was because it's actually impacted our society so much that we think it's normal, but it wasn't normal in the Greco-Roman culture into which Jesus was born and which Jesus lived. He radically lifted the value of children in a culture where sometimes children were left out just to die. Babies were left out to be exposed to die, maybe because they were girls or because they were unwanted. Jesus notably dignified women, not only by being kind to them, talking to them, acknowledging them, but actually by radically inviting them into his ministry, which is something that had not been done before and was very, very countercultural. He valued people all the way from the lepers, who were the sick people in society, and it was they were literally outcasts. They were not able to be with their families. They had to go be all by themselves. And also, he dignified the tax collectors. So the sick people physically, and what society deemed the sick people morally, the people who were cheating others out of their money, the sinful people. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, it says later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home. So Matthew's a tax collector, as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, so the Pharisees are the other religious leaders. And Jesus is like a pastor. He's a religious leader as well. So they see this and they think, why is he doing this? They, they said, why did your teacher eat with such scum? Which just is horrible. But they said it. And then Jesus heard this and he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And Jesus is, again, just like God in the Old Testament did. He is exemplifying this heart that is drawn into broken places, that is drawn toward broken people, that is drawn to the places which other people might be uncomfortable. And it's one of the behaviors that he most developed in the hearts and the lives of those who followed him. And we can see this in the early church. So Jesus was this one man who came and lived this amazing embodied life, and he had disciples and followers. And then once Jesus left this world, those disciples and followers formed a community. And this community embodied what it looked like to follow Jesus as a collective. And it's worth noting that when the Spirit came upon this new community after Jesus left, the Spirit came upon all. Can you guys say all with me? All. all. Can you say it again louder? All. Can you all say it? All. Thank you. I just wanted to say that. Um, so all is going to be an important word for us because all people were included. And it says the, the spirit fell on all people. And this was radical because the spirit didn't just fall on land-owning men. And the spirit didn't just fall on those who were mature enough in their faith to understand it. The spirit fell on the young and the old, the slave and the free, the man and the woman. It fell on different sides of socioeconomic experiences, it fell on all who were there. In fact, I want us to listen to this compelling, I, I find it really compelling, description of the early church community. You know, when we look at these records, we have to remember that it was intentional what they recorded. And so these essentials that were recorded about the early church community are really fascinating to listen to. And I'm also going to ask you guys, when I say all, when you read all come up on the screen, I'm going to ask you all to say it out loud. And we're going to start together. So all, thank you, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, all, thank you, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared that money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, which I find like, yeah, of course he would. Who doesn't want to be a part of a community like this? However, there was somebody who hated this community. There was a Roman emperor, Julian, in ancient, the ancient Christian world, and who hated them. He hated what they stood for. He hated what they did. However, even this op- opposer of Christianity had to concede that a marker of the early Christian community, the early believers, was radical care for everybody. He said, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans, which is what he was calling Christians, provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. And he hated them. And even he had to acknowledge this this community of believers, the reason people are compelled to join them is because of how they treat people It's because of how they go outside of their own borders and their own community, and they are caring for everybody. They are caring for all. And the early church modeled radical devotion to the lost and the least and the lonely. You see, the early church latched onto and internalized what Jesus said and what Jesus did, and they were radically devoted to the dignity and the value and the worth of all people. Not just the ones who looked like them, not just the ones in their social class, not just the poor people that they knew. They were radically devoted to caring about all people. And they were so changed by the love of Jesus that they were compelled to go outside of their circles and out of their comfort zone to see other people encounter that same love and be invited into that same community. And to most of us, This kind of life, the one that's lived valuing others, surrounded by a community of people that values others, it sounds pretty good, right? If I told you, hey, there's this community that does this right now, do you want to be part of it? We're all sharing things, there's nobody who has any need, everyone's eating together and worshiping together, and it's just really, really lovely and enjoyable, you would say, yeah, I want to be like that, I want to be part of that. But where do we start? Today I've identified four commitments that I think are just starting places. And the first one might be kind of surprising. But the first commitment is just to own our own part and to repent. You see, it's human nature for us to look down on other people. It's human nature to look down on the less fortunate or the homeless people around us. It is human nature for us to show preference based on race or gender or faith. It's human nature for us to judge people based on their wealth or their appearance. It might be human nature, but it's not okay. And it's not going to make us into the kind of community that we were just talking about. 
And even more often than those things, it's human nature for us to forget, just forget the image of God in anybody, especially those close to us, right? Our spouse, our roommate, our kids, our coworkers, our fellow students. And it's pretty common for us to actively remove ourselves or look away from situations that make us uncomfortable. But we can see that if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be able to go into spaces that are uncomfortable to care for those we deem sick or broken, right? And repenting means that we are sorry, but it also means that we have to be willing to change courses. And it's very easy. We say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But I just want to drop a note that if you, even if you do it today, we're going to give you a chance to repent in a few minutes. But even if you do it today, you're probably going to have to do it again tomorrow because our human nature is just that way. So just it's a posture that we need to keep. And another posture is this commitment number two, to acknowledge our common brokenness. It is a lot easier to extend grace to people when we recognize our own need for grace. It's a lot easier to dignify people when we recognize that we are also a mess. For example, when I carry an awareness of my own brokenness into a mealtime with somebody who's experiencing addiction and homelessness, it's a lot easier for me to see the humanity in their face than if I carry it in pride and this idea that I've earned my own dignity and I've earned my own worth and this person just has a long way to go. It sounds messy when you say it out loud, but it is what we do. And it is very important to keep a posture and a perspective that consistently acknowledges that we are all broken and that we are all a little bit of a mess. The third commitment is a little bit less internal. The third commitment is to treat everyone like we would treat Jesus. Jesus once said, but there will be a day when he returns and he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Which This sounds good. And then he says, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you went out of your way and visited me. And it says they'll ask, which is a logical question, because Jesus is getting ready to leave. Uh, when did we do this? But Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And in essence, Jesus is reminding the listeners of the image of God in everybody. And also... But if we say that we want to follow him and that we love him, it has to be displayed through our devotion to the poor and the needy, the broken, the naked, those in prison, the ones that make us uncomfortable. And one of the greatest barriers to this commitment is that we often are looking through our own human lenses. Our human lenses that don't remind us to see everybody as an image bearer, both deserving of dignity and needing restoration. But what if this week we started committing to acknowledge as many humans as we can as image bearers? How would this change our hearts? 
How would this change the way we talk to people? What if we committed to seeing everyone, like the student sitting in a dark room, struggling with mental health, as an image bearer of God? The mom crying in the shower after yelling at her kids yet again as an image bearer of a loving God. The individual unable to move forward in healthy relationships with God and with others because of a pornography addiction as an image bearer of a good God. The couple going deeper and deeper into debt, trying to fill some sort of need as an image bearing couple. The young adult partying to distract from anxiety and a lack of purpose as an image bearer of God. The homeless man that you passed on your way in as just as much of an image bearer of God. The mother who succumbs to her addiction and can't care for her children as an image bearer of God. The undocumented immigrant down the street working illegally on a farm as an image bearer of God. And this year, in 2024, this November, the person who votes differently than you is and will be an image bearer of God. This matters because it's not our nature, but it's the truth that every single person you encounter in your home or on the streets is an image bearer of God. And this is why the fourth commitment is so important. The fourth commitment is that we have to be radically devoted to valuing all people. And we say devoted because devoted means to persevere and not faint, to continue without quitting, to be constantly diligent. To be devoted means that we're making a commitment that will not easily be broken, not broken because we're uncomfortable or because we don't have time or because we just don't know what to do. When we're devoted and committed, we're going to figure out what to do, even if we are uncomfortable, right? And if we want to be in the kind of community that the early church was, we have to look to that, their description, their description it says, all the believers devoted themselves. Their community didn't just happen on accident. The sharing didn't just happen because they all felt good all the time. No, of course they had problems. They're people. But they were devoted to be a community of people who radically cared for every single person, the lost, the least, and the lonely. And our devotion to God has to translate to compassion toward people. We cannot separate the two. We cannot say that we love Jesus. We cannot say that we want to follow God and know him better and not care about people and not be drawn into uncomfortable spaces for the sake of people's healing and restoration and dignity. And what if we committed not just to words or to social justice on social media, but to be devoted through our lifestyle to be aligned with the belief that every person is valuable because they are made in God's image? How would that change things for us? Now, a great way to put our words into action is by participating in all of the compassion efforts we have here at ECHO. We need our hearts certainly to change, but we also have to take steps to align our hearts. In fact, 
we have queued up for you our Compassion website that you can see. We just really want you to know that we've made it easy on you. You can log on right now to echo.church slash compassion, and you can go to our, our Compassion site, see our local, regional, and global efforts to get involved. And then also you can go to our local site if you just, you just, you're desperate now to reach the lost, least, and the lonely, I know. And hey, we've made it easy for you. You can go on. You, look at how many dates there are, guys. And if there's one that doesn't work for you, if there's none that work for you, come find me. I will help you. Um, but there will be something that works for you. And we want to invite you to just take that step. Join something that we've already made available to you. Also, I do want to mention that mission trip signups are closing this month. I want to say that not everyone should go on a mission trip, though I will also say that there is nothing that has affected my view of the dignity of all people than being on the mission field as a kid. And there is nothing that has affected the way that I've seen God's love reflected than sitting across somebody from somebody who is experiencing deep poverty, who doesn't have a way out, and telling them about the love of Jesus, there is nothing that has affected me more and changed my worldview more than that. And I would invite you to check it out. If there's anything in your heart that says, I think I should do that, please check it out and take that step. And it's easy to say that someone else is called to this. I actually get that a lot. Like, oh, you're so passionate about this. This must be your calling. And thank you, I do agree. However, you don't have to pray about whether or not God wants you to care about the lost and the least and the lonely, and whether or not God wants you to take uncomfortable steps and sacrifice some things to take care of people who are broken and needy. You don't have to pray about it. It's like one less thing on your list. You just have, it's just part of our calling. If we're following Jesus, we have to examine if our lives are aligning with that belief that all people are made in his image and that he came for the sick and the broken. But as we end, it's really important for me to say that the very best place for you to start, yes, I want you to sign up for compassion efforts, and yes, I want you to join a team, and yes, I want you to go on a mission trip, but the most important place for you to start today is with you and God. Because if we can't see our own selves as loved, and dignified, and valued, and as image bearers of God, then we will not be able to see God's image reflected in other people. We've all heard that saying that hurt people hurt people, right? But what if we turned it around today and reminded ourselves that the opposite can also be true? That restored people can restore people. That forgiven people can forgive people. That people who have been reconciled to their dignity and to wholeness can reconcile others to dignity and to wholeness. There's this beautiful title in the New Testament that calls for Christians to be ambassadors of reconciliation. I just, I love words and I love the way those roll off the tongue. Ambassadors of reconciliation. I want to be that. I want to see people reconciled to dignity and a relationship with a loving God. But if I don't experience reconciliation in my own life, 
to dignity and to healing and to freedom with a loving God, then I am not going to be able to be an ambassador in the world around me. I will just be tired. It's imperative that we don't skip our own reconciliation to God. It's imperative that we don't skip seeing that we are also image bearers of God because there is a huge difference when people who are so changed by this, so affected by the love of God, so forgiven, when they go out and serve the community, when they go out and love their neighbors, when they care about the lost and the least and the lonely at their workplaces or in their schools. It's a massive difference. The truth is that God deeply loves you. And the truth is that we are all in need of healing, that we are all in need of grace, and that we are all in need of a love that we cannot earn. And that might sound a little sad. You need love that you couldn't even earn. But I'm here to tell you this is actually good news. There is a God who loves you and made a way for you to be healed, to experience dignity where other people have spoken lies over you, to experience a love that comes from Him and not your own work. Because when our worth is tied up in the work of Jesus on the cross and not in our own work and our own toil and our own trying to prove that we are worth something, then we are able to receive and extend so much more grace and so much more dignity. And there's a chance that you can actually walk out of here, even hearing that we are imploring you, I am begging you to please start noticing the lost and the least and the lonely around you, but that you can still walk out of here lighter than you walked in. Because God loves you, And Jesus made a way for you to join in with his work, but not to be the one who has to do all the work. He can fill you so much with grace that it just overflows into the world around you if you'll let it. And if this is your first time hearing this really good news, that God made you, that God loves you, that God knows that you're broken and values you anyway, and made a way for your healing and your freedom, if this is your first time, We're going to all pray in a minute, and I really want you to pray with your whole heart and to take this next step of trusting Jesus for your healing, first and foremost. In fact, with every, if I could have everybody stand at every campus, we're going to boldly pray a prayer together, and we're going to lift our voices together here, online, at Fremont. Sunnyvale, we're going to all pray together because it matters that we collectively are a community that are committed. So with every eye closed, before I start praying, I'm going to pray and I'll have you repeat me, but before that, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and just acknowledge for a moment that you are broken. Hold that in one hand and then also remind yourself, acknowledge, maybe even this, maybe this is even harder for you but acknowledge that God made you in his image and he loves you despite your brokenness. And let's pray this prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. God, I bring you my wounds 
There are moments that have caused me to believe that I'm not valued. Please heal me. I believe you love me. God, I bring you my pride. Let's say it again. God, I bring you my pride. I repent of my mindsets, my actions, and my inaction. Please forgive me. God, we commit to devote ourselves to seeing all people with your image. Help us to be ambassadors of reconciliation and dignity and healing wherever we go. We receive your grace. Amen.